is the grass greener on the other side with this idea of like being out is like awesome what's the reality like what is it like moving on giving up the routine of cycling how have the relationships changed it's not <laughs> <laughs> life's a bitch <laughs> no no but the the difference is when you're you're groomed to be a pro cyclist like you you're you're in it you don't realize how easy you have it you don't have to plan anything everything's done with you they send you your, your plane ticket you just got to grab the train or the taxi to get to the airport hotels there and you can complain all day about the bad food and it's like you don't have to deal with anything like here in Girona is over 100 pros so when it comes that you have to deal with the consequences by yourself in your daily life or or oh shit I got bills to pay I got like ooh, reality catching up it's challenging it's fun because you yeah it's responsibilities but being a cyclist I miss this the ease the ease of like Everything is ready. I just got to focus on one thing. But it's this what made it boring for me. I needed more. I need something to occupy my brain. I need something to to occupy my downtime. Mm. And racing as an amateur in France, the first thing they tell you is like when you're not training, you have to be sitting down, resting, and not doing anything. And I'm like, no, I'm resting when I'm having a stroll in Barcelona, checking out the city. I'm going out for a nice, easy dinner, uh, or I'm cooking for friends. Mm being busy and uh, I've always been more effective and better performance when I was busy than when I was doing the job 100% sitting mm. down and waiting for the next training and staring the fridge. Well, g'day guys and you were just listening to the episode I did last week over at the Cycling Podcast about retirement. I really good episode a long episode it was the last episode of the season the last episode i'll do under the umbrella of the cycling podcast and the last episode for me as a pro so lots of laughs there and it was a really great episode if you haven't heard that get across and have a listen to that at the cycling podcast where it always is i'm sure you're going to enjoy that I really enjoyed making that one. I know you guys are going to enjoy listening to that and I'm sure probably most of the people here have heard that. Now we've got Talking Luft, but now the tables have been turned. Luke Durbridge is Talking Luft with me. So he's going to be interviewing me. I'm going to be trying to tell a little bit about my style tips and uh, feel what it's like on the other side of the mic. So guys, sit back and enjoy this one. Here I am, Talking Luft. We're recording. Oh, we're recording right now. We're already recording. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried about my next beer before uh, we even start this. Um, <laughs> well, we can pause and get another Ovalica. No, that's very true. That's very true. Righto, here we go. Welcome, Mitch, to your own podcast. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Yeah, here we go. He's a long-time guest, a long-time host, and um, it's been good to uh, be on the podcast a couple of times, but uh, Mitch... Spoke to me, well, we've been trying to tee this up for a couple of weeks now. Off-season uh, got in the way, Off-season did get in the way. October gets very, very busy. It's nothing really ne- necessary to do, but we always seem to find all the extracurriculum events that we want to do. So we finally found a moment, actually, the night before I fly back to Australia. Um, 
So we're getting a quick beer in and we thought we'd record this podcast, Talking Luft, and um, I thought I'd put Mitch in the hot seat and, uh, yeah, go through 1.0, Talking Luft, and uh, hit him with a few questions and uh, people out there who are the fans of the Life in the Peloton podcast can hear a bit more about the host. And, yeah, like, I mean, he's always putting me under pressure, so maybe it's my turn to um, hop in him a little bit. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. I'm not very good at the uh, sarcasm like yourself, but uh, righto, Mitch, what do you think? Should we, should we crack in? Let's do it. Hit me with it. All right. All right. So we've got question one. Caps, how do you wear yours? Caskets. Caskets. I like to wear mine... Typically, look, I'm not opposed to any style. I think as long as you've got a hat on your head, you're doing something right with a bit of luft. It's always better than just, you know, skull capping it. Personally, I'm sort of forwards, brim up. And there's always a reason for brim down, sun in the eyes. You were brim up. I always thought you were brim down. No, nah, brim up. Okay. Brim I just up. like it. I think that's just the way they should be worn. It's the way they were designed to be worn. And nine times out of ten, that's the way they are worn. Right. Um, so brim up, luft, brim down if it's sunny or raining, backwards if it's fast, backwards peak up if it's really fast. They're my options. When is the last time you wore a cap going really fast without a helmet? Downhill, dropping my son to school the other day. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> he was on the front and I had to do the old... Oh, going to lose the cap. And then I flicked even the back. Oh, okay, right, right. right. Have you ever done the... The helmet on top with the back no. flipped, that would make no sense, wouldn't it? No. Um, Alan, I've seen it done. Yeah, Alan Davis did that. No, yeah. sorry. Day, Alan raced backwards with his without a helmet. So this is another era that we don't know. But I have seen it every so often backwards with the helmet on. Not a fan, but I get it. Yeah. Maybe keep your neck dry or something like that. Something. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, question two. If you could have raced without a helmet, how would you have raced? I think I would have probably gone snag helmet. Snag helmet? Yep. I would have gone the sausage helmet. I thought you would have been a headband guy with a mullet, you know? Yeah, I know. I know. There's too many yeah, options. There's too, too many, many options. options. <laughs> I think I think I think when it would have got dangerous, that's a good call. I even forgot my own style there for a minute. <laughs> I would have I've caught up in the old Gerondo there because I, I really did get blown away by the old Snelly white snag helmet. I loved it. But I think headbands, thin headbands, um, and then a snag helmet when it got dangerous, even though it didn't do anything for you. No, just look more safe, I guess. Yeah, that's right. All right, headband. I'm glad you said headband. I think you look good in a headband, especially with the mullet. Uh, question three. All-time favourite kit slash team? Hmm. I'm just going to have to say Mappe. Yeah. It's just done. You know, the amount of riders that came out of there, the riders that were good at the time, Ballerini, Tafts, you know, Cadell was even just at the hitting his straps Cancellara early days Yeah, but then then the guys that came out of Mm. there, Cancellara, you know, Rogers was there too. Yeah. Albi. Yeah. Was Museo there too? Museo, yeah. Yeah, Exactly. And there's, there's many. We could just go on. But then the kit, that's the ultimate. That's where that question came from. Can you compete with that? 
No, not really at all. I, I found that, uh, and even you're a big fan of Mappe anyway, you already have the Colnago bike from Mappe. So mm. sort of a little special place in your heart anyway, isn't it? So Mappe is your favourite team. I could definitely see that. And the kit was just unreal, wasn't it? Yeah. It was really, really good. All right. Favourite race? Roubaix. No-brainer there. And we don't really need to go on about it because I more or less go on about it in every other podcast or any chance I get. <laughs> even even, though, we, like, we, even got a, we even got a Life in the Peloton uh, Roubaix cap coming. I mean, that let's was, uh, get across to the shop if you can. Yeah, if yeah. you can, just a little plug there. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, yeah, to finish. To can you, let's just like, you always speak about Roubaix, but like who's in second? Who's running second? Good call. Because, like, you always be like, Roubaix and this, is, is it? I'd probably, I would have to say, weirdly, close to my heart is the Vuelta. Oh, yeah, I guess so. How many Vuelta's did you end up doing? I did seven. Yeah, right. So. Oh, that's a lot. It became sort of my little, my little point of focus every year. Um, and it's a great race. It's a tough race. I love the, the challenge of it. Good weather. I do like the element of that. It was always going to be good weather. A lot of people argue, you know, like if it's not the Tour, then it's got to be the, the Giro. But for me, the Vuelta had something special because it's it's hot, it's relaxed. I like that element of it. It's hard. And at the end of it, you can finish your season. Yeah, that's true. You, know you I mean? hold on to your form for the rest of the season, whatever no, you had on. You're, you're done. Just, you're done. Whatever point you get to in that race, mm. it's like, okay, four days left of the season, you know, or 12 days left of the season, whatever it is. But what you've seen from the Vuelta the last couple of years is that it's actually – one of the hardest races on the calendar. That doesn't necessarily make it still the favourite race. I didn't necessarily like that element. No, it's <laughs> it's it's brutal. It's a brutal race, um, and it's exciting to watch. And you know everyone's on good form, but it's uh, yeah. I mean seven seven welters. That's a lot. So you can see a special place in your heart. Early season focus with the classics, and then you're back into the season focus with with, uh, with the welter. So yep. Right, second race. All right, um, crosswinds or mountains. If I had to choose one, I'd say crosswinds. I don't necessarily love training in crosswinds, but I like racing crosswinds just because I felt like I could handle myself better in crosswinds and I felt never really scared of them. Mountains, I love training in the mountains though. Um, I'm not a climber by any stretch of the imagination, but I did live in Holland for one year in the north of Holland, well, in the middle of Holland really. I never could really train properly on the flat. I never could work it out. And even though I'm not a climber, I still need the climbs to train well. Yeah, um, you didn't find any Dutch mountains there? Over over three minutes? No, <laughs> I didn't, no. I think that's what I, I said, mountains training, racing crosswinds. Mm. You know? But you can, you can still race in the mountains. You can still climb well, but wow. it just doesn't bring you pleasure. No, it's not, not pleasure. Yeah. No, no, no. Training in the mountains is beautiful. Though. Like you've been up in Andorra resident for there for many years and it's just an amazing place to train, isn't it? But also like you think about a training day in the mountains, there's an element of like I've just got to get up four climbs today. Mm. It could be a six-hour day. You just think about four climbs. They could take an hour long each. Time flies, isn't it? It does. Yep. We're, weirdly on the on the flat, you're thinking about the six hours. Oh, I've only done two hours. Oh, I've got to whatever. It's That's actually easier, true. Yeah, you know? six hours in Holland you'd sort of – Sort of deja vu all the time. Just got, you know, four crosswind sections. (laughs) Great. (laughs) (laughs) Waiting to do the big block around the – anyway. All right. So training or racing? I'd have to say training these days. I've I've changed. 
Yeah, I didn't. Early days was racing? Yeah, I think so. Especially back in the early school Shimano days, there wasn't much training in those days. It was like train at the start of the season, get to the racing, and it was really race recover the rest of the season. That's certainly drifted away later on in my career, and I see that with a lot of guys. And actually, it's probably the reason why I did retire was I didn't love going to the races anymore. Mm. But I haven't lost that love for the bike, mm. as you know. Um, no, you train more than you. Well, not even yeah, more, or more yeah, than you, way more. more way yeah. more than me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, you can definitely see you haven't lost the love for pedaling your bike. Yeah, that's and not, I think I just didn't it. enjoy the, as TJ said, TJ Van Garder, and the worst part for him was once he clipped the number on until he unpinned it. Um, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't go that far, but there was an element of I didn't enjoy the racing anymore. So, yeah. Well, it's good going forward that into what you do next is that you you enjoy riding your bike still. And I'm sure there's a lot of people when they finish, it's time to – they hate all of the aspects, the mm. getting up early to go riding their bike or, yeah, just the pushing themselves or anything like that. So that. From what I see from the outside, I haven't seen none of that. So – Means you won't be a fat bastard after your career. <laughs> I'm gonna have to just yeah, counteract it with the Orvals. Yeah, I? just tone down the amount of beer. Well, yeah, your... <laughs> financial side of Orvals in Australia. True, that's an expensive that'll, beer. You might have to go to sort of pull me up twoies or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh yuck! Um, all right, next question: Coffee stop guy or not? What do you get when you stop? I'm a coffee stop guy. Nine times out of ten, there have been occasions when I do not stop, but that's a certain scenario. But nine times out of ten, I'm happy to stop. Later in my career, it's more difficult for me to stop with the kids at home, thinking oh, I should probably get home. You're never a long stopper though. So no. like a purposeful stopper, like let's have a brew, let's have something, but it's not like let's just switch off for an hour as some no. of the guys do. It's just like we have a half an hour stop, refresh and go again from what we've done yeah. in the years, you know? I don't know why that is. I just sort of think like I'm I'm a bit the same. I'm not. Yeah, really I was like, you know what? Let's just let's refresh, but let's get it done. Yeah. This is still work. I just yeah. and let's get back. I've got a pod to record later on. I've got to meet Turbo, <laughs> something yeah. like that. Some know? extra extra um, event. And what do I get? If it's a Spain coffee, no, no. If I first arrive, sparkling water. Order a bock. Bock comes out. Coffee. Bock, can you explain that to people? Bocadillo. Bocadillo, yep. And Which is a sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> you just pronounced the long version yeah. of the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a sandwich. In Spain, it's pretty basic. Yeah, but it's a baguette. Yeah, it's, it's just a baguette. A baguette with, yeah. And you can normally get like ham and cheese, but I normally get a omelette omelet in it. Yep. Um, with they rub tomato on the bread, put a bit of oil, salt and pepper, throw an omelette in between and then... They sound pretty basic, but they are pretty incredible. Pretty great. And the price. So cheap. So cheap. So cheap. Um, and then grab... It's a rare occasion that I get a Coke, but I might get one on an odd occasion. And on the odd occasion, I might get a, a Kanya, a beer. But that's more in the recent years. Mm-hmm. And then a coffee. Espresso, and that sounds like a pretty big stop by now, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a degustation at the brew shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah so first I'll start with this and then I'll start with that. So uh, you're never like an uh, Aquarius or? Uh, 
Nah. Uh, look, a Coke and a Aquarius are more pass-through servos, emergency zone. Sure. Yep. Sure. And you would choose to always go to a brew shop versus service station. Yeah. It's service station. We've done a few servo stops a few times mm. where it's like, yeah, we get the Shakerama, which is like a, you know, shake-up coffee in summer. Like a... It's, it's like an iced coffee more yeah, or less. Starbucks yeah, yeah. sort of shake-up coffee yeah. or whatever brand we have here. Nothing that compares to Australia. No. No, but it's, it's okay. Get and then... Maybe like an Aquarius, which is like a Gatorade in a can, and a uh, a Coke. Like I'm not saying all of them, but it could be one of those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another degustation at the server as well. So uh, anyway, um, lots of eating out training. <laughs> <laughs> Degos. Degos. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I mean, you answered a little bit before, but what coffee do you drink? At home, it depends on how the day starts, but nine times out of ten, the day starts with the cappuccino early with the kids. I get up, put the brew machine on, 6 a.m., by about 7, Mrs. gets up, make two caps, flat whites, con leches, whatever you want to call them. Then move into a second cap before I go training or if I've got stuff on in the morning, I potentially might grind up and do a filter. Mm-hmm. I'm not opposed to either option. Just depends on the occasion. It depends if, if you need sort of five or six cups of coffee, exactly, before, or you just need one or two. Exactly. If I've got a yeah. full day at home or a full morning, I'll get the I'll get the batch going. Get the hot brew on. Yep. With the uh, mocha master. Get the mocha master brewing. Out on the road, I normally then would go a cortado. So a small, even in Spain. Yeah, I just try and reduce the milk by then. It's yeah. like I've, I've just sort of had two milky coffees at home. Let's just do a half milk. It was a risky business in Spain with any sort of cortado yeah, out you of s- town. You still, you still, as much as the coffees are rubbish, you still punch it through. Yeah. You don't enjoy anything of it. <laughs> it's more the process of I'm having a coffee. Apart it's from that, it's effect. horrible. It's more for effect, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, okay, fair enough. And um, definitely if it's in the afternoon, it's espresso all the way in or filter. Right, there was a lot of lot of coffee being drank there, but um, all right. So very productive day by the sounds. Favorite drink slash poison. Oh, this is going to be a hard one for you, isn't it? Oh, it's got to be. Look, it's got to be beer. I I do love my wine, but I think since having kids, I don't know what it is, but the lack of time to really appreciate wine because by the time you get to the night, you're sort of blown out. And the missus is either pregnant or breastfeeding or doing something that she can't really drink. So you're sort of just trying to drink a bottle of wine on your own, mm. which can't, I'm not saying that can't be done. No. But it's or not. has been done. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite as enjoyable. Enjoyable, yeah. To open up a beautiful bottle of wine and just sort of drink it on your own in the corner in the dark. Well, in the afternoon, you crack a can, do something with the kids. Exactly. Fine. One or two, three, four. So I work, I work through my beers. I like starting like, you know, with something pretty easy if I've been working or in the afternoon. When I say working, it means like mowing the lawn or cleaning up. And I have my working beer, which is just like a canned beer, a normal like lager. A dirty lager from Spain, something. Chebeca. Chebeca, yeah. Chebeca, Australia. Yep. Maritz maybe. 
And then I start moving into something else, you know, like something a bit more flavoursome, like an IPA. I'm just loving the process. Of, we're, we're talking about three different questions here. It's it's, it's a degustation. <laughs> You're a man of merry process. I love it. You're, it's fantastic. So, keep, sorry, continue. Yeah. continue. And then like, uh, yeah, like it could be an IPA. I might have one pushed in the corner for a special occasion. And then, you know, if I'm warmed up, I'll move into that. And if if the situation presents itself, it could be an oval later on. Normally, it's a really special occasion because they're really hard to come by. And actually what I'm finding right now is I'm drinking ovals out because I've saved them for so long and I've only got like one week to drink all these beautiful beers that I've saved. <laughs> so now I'm just... That's why you brought four over for us <laughs> <Yeah>. to get through. <laughs> and it could be an oval. Um, so it's all beer. I really just love... I love exploring different beers and yes, Orval is my favourite but it doesn't mean I have to drink that all the time. I do enjoy that but um, I do like drinking different styles of beer and, and, and tasting them. Are you looking forward to going back to Australia and sort of experience – I mean, we got, you used to go back once per year but we sort of sort of become quite Spanish in our mm. beer selection over the years. I'm sure Orval is your favourite but your go-to is a uh, – Alhambra's Estrella's, um, San Miguel, all these beers here, the fantastic beers. But when you go back to Australia, your your standard lager now is going to be, what, a Carlton Draft or what, what are we thinking? You know, it's it's going to be an interesting it's be, yeah, it's, change it up because you, you can't pay 90 bucks a carton for a no. lumber in Australia, which is actually what you have to pay. So If you're lucky, if you get on sale. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Estrella here is six euro for six cans. So back in Oz, it's... Where are you or, buying your Estrellas from? No, in, in Spain. Yeah, but that's expensive. That's, oh, well, yeah, Australia's sure, sure. like 40 cents a can. Oh, I don't know the exact price. Wait, where have you been shopping? <laughs> Get down to Audi. Bloody hell, <laughs> bargain buying. Um, yeah, the thing is, the funny thing I realise is like Australia is outside of Spain. It's actually a bit of a sought-out beer. Not really, but you know what I mean? Like, especially in Australia. When especially you, the Tapper's restaurant in yeah, Australia, yeah. When you see like a, a Stella Artois, oh, Stella. Yeah. Geez, beautiful. Yeah. You go to Belgium, people are like, Ooh. what are you drinking that for? <laughs> and so that's the same thing. Sponsored. With, yeah, same thing with <laughs> Estrella or Moritz or whatever. Here you can pick it up, like I said, for 50 cents a can. It's a working man's beer. So I think in Australia it'll be like a, I'm a Melbourne Bitter fan. Um, that's going to be my Estrella. But the problem is I ask this question to myself, am I bordering on alcohol? Am I going to be an alcoholic, you know? Like, am I drinking way too much alcohol? But I think when I go back to Australia, I can't afford to drink. It's so expensive. So, like, I'm not too worried about that because, like, you know what? Drink six beers here. You think, yeah, cool. That cost me, like, six bucks. Drink six beers in Australia. Like, I, don't, I can't afford 50 bucks a day. No. No, no. It's an expensive habit if that's the case. Exactly. So. Melbourne bitter it is. Melbourne bitter for Australia, um, and then maybe one crafty every every week. Yeah, save up, you know, twenty five <laughs> euro and go down for a pint. Exactly. Yeah, twenty five Australian. Um, all right, next question: uh, training with a group or training alone? It's difficult to pinpoint that one. Um, I do like training with a group on a big ride, but I have to admit, I do like training with you. That is you that a group? I don't know. I feel like, and we've discussed this many times, that you have to find someone that you know 
is up for the same stuff that you're up for, the same vibe. Even if they're not on the same day, they they can tolerate. Adaptable. What, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, adaptable. Yeah. Like doing an effort, I'll sit in the wheel for 40 minutes while you do like a tempo effort. And I've only got an endurance day, but I'm going to be slightly above my endurance day, but I don't care because I'm happy to ride with you. Mm. Or whatever it is. You've got to find you guys you train with. Like Heppy, great guy to train, great person, but – him and I don't glue in terms of the way we train. Michael Hepburn, that is. Or whoever. There's a million other people. Mm. But he has a different way of training. I'm not his guy. We might only train together three or four times a year on those long endurance days that suit. Mm. You and I, nine times out of ten, can train with each other no matter what the day is. So that's my theory. I do end up training quite a lot alone because I think a lot of people don't understand as professionals – You've got to get your work done. It's a working day. And it doesn't matter if you ride with someone or not, you're still going to do it. Um, and also with the kids and timing and sometimes yeah. you've got to be adaptable. Like yes, you've like, got to leave at 12 because you've got to take someone to school or vice versa, you've got to leave early. Leave early or whatever. You've got to get so. back. Yeah. Yep. So I, yeah. alone. Alone. I'd say if I had to pinpoint it, alone. Alone, yeah. Because in, in the end when you're training with me, it's not, we're, not, we're not talking to group. We very rarely roll out with six people, you know, never. Occasionally, like, Occasionally. oh, you weren't here, but just before Christmas last year, I organised like a ride, a six-hour ride, like it was essentially the longest, first long ride of the year in Girona, staying mm. here for Christmas. Whoever was around, I messaged everyone and we did a big bunchy. I guess what everyone imagines is what happens in Girona every day. All the pros that were here, we all met up and we rode to Catechesson back, a six-hour ride. It was a great ride. But it was like a one-off, once-in-a-year time that we all rolled together and it was cruisy and it was really fun. But I knew and everyone knew at that moment. This, this probably won't happen. Ever again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered why there's no bunches here but just everyone's so, you know, like exact with their training and things like that. So, yeah. all right, we're going to go with the loan with that. Favourite? Training loop. Hmm. I guess we could split it. One in Oz, one in Europe, but... Okay. One in Oz. It's got to be Hillsville. From Melbourne, from Rosanna, where I live, where I grew up, head out of Rosanna, head straight down, Greensboro Bypass, straight down through Diamond Creek, Diamond Creek Climb, you go down that, through Dymo through to Hurstbridge, you're on King Lake, Hurstbridge Road, you hit King Lake, you do King Lake. If you're fast, you do it in like 15 minutes. If you're slow, you do it in like 20. Over King Lake, straight down to Hillsville, you go down Chum Creek, grab a brew in Hillsville, flip it, head up Myers Creek. And now it's essentially an out and back, but weirdly it feels like a loop because you don't do the same road down there. You come back over Myers Creek, back up to King Lake, from King Lake straight down to King Lake, back down to Hills, uh, Hurstbridge, Dymo, up the Diamond Creek climb that everyone hates. Anyone in Melbourne knows what I'm talking about. You hit Dymo right at the end. Just a real leg biter at the end, is yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, oh, I hate this oh. climb. It's super busy. It's Traffic. annoying. You've got to single out. Oh, you're you're right. buggered. And then you head back home. Um, that's Melbourne. That's the loop I did a million times. Um, How long is it? I want to say five hours, but okay. I wouldn't know in case. 
you normally stop at um, Innocent Bystander. I used to stop with Mark O'Brien there a lot, Darren Lapthorne. Innocent Bystander, grab a croissant there, great wine. Is that in Hillsville? That's in Hillsville. You don't get a wine, but they do good wine. And then you head up. Um, Chum Creek, in the old days, Lappers used to put in the big ring and just go, I'm just going to ride big ring up here, Mitch. And be like, okay, so you're going to drop me? Is that what, you, is that what you're trying to say? That's how you took it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was probably just doing some SC, poor Lappers here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Freak. not racing you, Mitch. I'm not. Europe, favourite loop in Europe. I have to admit... In the last few years, I actually really loved riding to Andorra and back. Mm. And if I was going to ride to Andorra. Same day. Up and back. <laughs> if I made a loop, okay, you'd never make it a loop because it'd be, it'd be 450K. <laughs> but if we had to make it a loop, it would be the way I would go up would be the shortest way because it's all uphill. From, Andorra, from Girona, you go straight up, you go through a lot and the way I would go would be Girona on Glaze on Glaze main road no 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 wait take it back Girona St Gregory from St Gregory Les Planes Les Planes Olot from Olot you go up to Ripoll so so far we've done three climbs then from Ripoll, now you start climbing. <laughs> Shit, that's, that, that's a hard go on that. Ripoll, La Molina. Colder Tozers. Colder Tozers. But I'd take the Colder Tozers way, the steep way. Oh, the in, oh, small yeah. inner, inner road there. Yep. Down to La Molina, well, sort of, then to Alp. Then from Alp, climb up from there to Paz de la Casse, then descend down to Soldeo where I live. It's a big day, isn't it? It's a big day. What is it? So it's seven and a half hours, more or less, seven? Yep. Seven, seven and a half. And it's sort of, what are we talking? It's it's 3,000 plus metres, isn't it? I think it's, yeah, it's almost close to four. Yeah. I think it's 4,000. But the destination it's ride is nice though, isn't it? That you just, you're riding up there, yeah. you, you, you're up for a reason or you're, you're up there to do something and then when you come back, what would you do? I really love the loop when you come back. It's super long. It's 240K. I don't think I've ever done this one. No, you wouldn't have done it. <laughs> no, definitely not. You go, down, you go down from Andorra. You go from Soldeo straight through Andorra out to Lamas, uh, from to Lasayo, which is just out in Spain. From Lasayo, you do this climb called Col de Trava. Oh, Over that Col de way. Trava. Yeah, okay. You drop down, and I wish I knew all the names of the towns there, but I don't know them. You go all the way through there, beautiful way, and you end up this place called Burger. From Burger, you cut across to back to Ripoll. From Ripoll, you go back to Olot, and you descend straight from Rip, from Olot back down the way to Anglaise into Girona. I've really skipped out a whole lot there, but if anyone wants to look on a map, that's a really beautiful ride. A long ride, but the thing is you're going really fast. You probably average 35K an hour if you're on it. So you can do it in about seven hours. Yeah, right. Fairly, fairly moving there. It's a beautiful, beautiful, um, beautiful ride. I've done it myself, not that one, but uh, I've done both ways and it's just like it is amazing. Um, All right, moving on. Best bike. 
I guess we're saying ridden, no? Your best bike you ever ridden? Or yeah. yeah. Right. Um It's gotta be the Koga, surely. <laughs> oh, Weirdly <laughs> Surely not. Weirdly, <laughs> I wish I had my original Koga. Two thousand and nine Koga. Yeah, it was a simple aluminium frame, you know, like but no, not the best. Um I have to say the best bike I rode, and this is really in perspective of everything. I know the bikes are better now because of like disc brakes and like aerodynamics and everything. The Evo is a really good bike. Fast, can do everything, put gravel tires on it. But in all things considered, the Scott, I don't know what year that was, but that blue Scott we had in Mitchelton. Oh, the original foil. The original foil. Yep. The yep. foil that started in HCC and lasted yep. for like 10 years. Yep. That bike was a weapon. You're it not was, alone with that. I spoke to a lot of people about that. That's still to this day, they reckon it's one of the best bikes they've ever ridden. It's stiff. It was light. It was just a good bike. Ahead of its game, really, yeah. at the time. Mm. So the original foil, I wish I knew. Do you have a bluey? The blue I, foil I still. I have a bluey tucked away, yeah. Oh, you do have a, you do have one. It fell off the back of a truck. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> I knew the answer to that question, but anyway, no one really knows about that. <laughs> Beautiful bike, though. I've also got one. Well, I don't have one. My brother has one. Fell off the back of a truck, also. <laughs> he bought it legitimately. And um, nice bike, though. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. I'm ready for this one. War story. Okay. War story. What's it going to be? Um, all g- right. Giro 2014. You were gone already. Oh, okay. It wasn't the other one where you rode the front. <laughs> no, okay. that was going to be it, but <laughs> you were gone. All right. 2014, epic to Giro. One, some of the, so, some of my best memories as a pro. But later in the race, there was only a few of us left. Swaino, Heppy being one, me and Centurometer. I think there was a few other guys left at this point. But Wean Dog was there also? I think Wean Dog was still there or maybe he pulled out this day. But yeah. I was starting to feel crook. Pizza Del Carne, as Wing Dog said. But the team had already been wiped out by yeah. incredible virus through the team. So it was sort of coming. I sort of started getting the virus and I stopped on the side of the road to relieve myself from a number two. <laughs> but I was so – I didn't care about the race so much because I just was just feeling so ill and just needed to go to the toilet that by the time I stopped and pulled my nicks back on and all that stuff that actually all the cars were gone. It was a mountain day, a horrific mountain day. And there was this one little like in the convoy of like, I don't even know, this was like a little Fiat with like a little hamburger on the top or something like that. It was like promoting something. It was just following like last car, well, well behind the red car. He saw me just sort of pop out from the bushes. And in typical Italian fashion, he's like, get on the back of the car, you know, <laughs> pull me back. Because otherwise my race was over. Sure. So he towed me back to the, eventually the last convoy car and I slowly worked my way back through the convoy. 
eventually to the small group auto that had formed on that climb. I get to this group auto and um, Heppy was there. I guess Swaino was there. I can't actually remember Swaino, but I'm sure he was there. I'm pretty sure he was there. But I specifically remember Heppy because Pizzato was there. Bernie Iser was there. Pataki was there. It was just a small group. That was sort of it. Maybe a couple others that I'm forgetting, like some big names. I remember this because I was starting to get dropped from the group Edo. And I was I just started to cry. And I was just I'm not gonna make it. I feel sick. Empty. I've lost all my energy. I'm crying. I'm just like, it's too big, you know, and I'm just like, this is just overwhelming. And Heppy was just like, hey, hey, boys, boys, wait up, wait for this guy. And this is what has lost from the dying breed. It's like Bernie Eyes will look back. He's like, hey, let's slow down. Let's let's keep it all together. And the boys all slowed down. We made a group and they kept me in the group and we all rode in together. Like not all like holding and hugging and all this stuff. But singing Kumbaya. It was just a- <laughs> the fact was they, they just slowed the pace down 1K an hour and I got back in and I stopped crying and wiped the tears off my face and just hardened up. Yeah. But <laughs> the point was I got in and, you know, soon enough I was out three or four days later. I can't remember. But that day really sticks in my memory because I was suffering so bad and I wasn't good. But the Gruppetto... Mm this thing that people imagine that doesn't exist really anymore. Like that a bit of respect for now. each other, wasn't it? It was a bit of a respect to you. Total and to, respect. This guy's in the race. He's yeah. suffering. There's not – Let's not help him he get can't. through. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that was my war story. I don't know what stage that was. I have to look that back up. But it was something like, I don't know, stage 15 or something. A nice moment to share also with some big hitters in that – Yeah. In that uh, – Tear in that up group in front of as them. well, yeah. yeah. Well, just also the respect that you got as an, as another pro, yeah. which is uh, like you said, is a bit of a shame it's been lost. But uh, sounds like an epic day <laughs> in the end. Um, all right, we've got we've got two more. We've got uh, cheat meal. What is it? I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Run me through it. <laughs> it's pretty simple for me. Starts with. <laughs> At the appetite, appetizer is appetizers is. Oh, look! I think the cheat meal has been sneaking in a few too often, too too often these days. But one thing I really love to do is just have a good pack of chips and a good couple of beers, crisps that is, and a few beers. That's like that. That's the ultimate combo. But as a pro, you can't really afford yourself to do that. Even though it probably doesn't make a difference, you feel bad from doing that. Yeah, chips, you just can't eat too many. You only no. bags on them. But bag, uh, And it ultimately ends in beers. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, You're not yeah. eating a bag of chips and then drinking it like a, a We're water. eating a bag of salt, which is making you thirsty. And if the only thing that's in front of you that you want to drink is a beer, so you just drink more. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's pretty simple. That's oh, it. It's a bit of a, I was thinking, you know, chips and beer, perfect combination. All right. Best thing about riding your bike? It's very similar to everyone. That's why I asked this question is that and I've realised this moment recently is that with TJ told me that when you're a pro, you underestimate the fact that 
you actually get the freedom to ride. And that time that you ride, you actually have that time to decompress, that time to yourself, that time. It's a psychological moment in your life. Not in your life, but in your day, in, your, in that period of your life. So I think the best part about riding a bike is that time to yourself, the time to reflect, the time to, I don't know, maybe it doesn't have to be a whole psychological session or whatever it is, but that freedom you get on the bike, I think I underestimated until recently that it is really your time. It's your time to get whatever is out of your head or just be happy and be on your own. Yeah, when you were listening to Bert DeBacker speak on the podcast recently, he was saying, you know, it's actually got... 20 to 30 hours a week to work on yourself. Mm. That was training. And it's funny, that's the best thing about being a bike is that you've got 20 to 30 hours to yourself to to think or to decompress or to, to, to do whatever. Like literally it's, it's funny that that's your job but it's something it's something so powerful with bike running, cleaning, cleaning your mind, mm. you know. And as humans, I think pilgrimages has been something that, people do to find themselves or to cleanse the mind and like Swaino used to say to me was that long aerobic exercise is pretty much a pilgrimage. Yeah. So we pilgrim, we go out and pilgrimage on our bicycles, we find new places, we see new things, we cleanse the mind and all this sort of thing. So I could definitely see how that's probably the best thing about being a bike rider and yeah. Best thing about bikes. Righto, Mitch. Well, that was bloody good. Um what do you think we uh, – I think that's been a bloody good good one and I'm, I'm, I'm glad we could get you on the other side of the mic so people can hear a little bit more about you. And uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed being on the podcast and I'm, I'm glad I got to host one. And, um, yeah, mate, well, uh, cheers. We'll have to have another quick private oval and then um, have to get out of here. Thanks, guys. Hope you enjoyed Talking Loft. Cheers. Well, what did you think? What did you think? How'd I shape up on the other side? I don't know. It was pretty hard actually being on the other side of the mic. Well, not that hard, you know. It was just funny. I didn't have all the answers ready. you think I would have after all these years. But anyway, that was it. That's the last talking look for this year. The last episode of Life in the Peloton was over at the Cycling Podcast, like I said, last week. So guys, until next season, I've got some exciting news. I'm going to be announcing that soon, what Life in the Peloton is going to be doing next year. The short of the story is Life in the Peloton will be continuing on next year. We've got a new title sponsor, we've got a new direction. So I'm going to be announcing all that very, very soon. So hang in for that. I want to say thanks for listening, especially for this year, but all the years. I know everyone's been listening for a few years now. And to all those new listeners, welcome aboard. And I love that you are enjoying the episode. Just before I sign off, I've got a couple of big thank yous I want to say. Of course, to Lara behind the scenes who has been helping this show, this podcast come to life for the last few years. And especially this year, she's been fantastic behind the scenes doing all those little things that make this show come around and be and happen actually. And of course, all the stuff with the merch. This is Lara. This is what she's doing behind the scenes. So thanks, Lara. A massive thanks to you. I really like working with you on the podcast. And also to Simon Kane, who's been producing the Talking Luft series for me. He's come on halfway through this year, and I'm sure you guys are going to know about it. The quality of the episodes have gone through the roof. 
And it's a massive shout out and thank you to him. I love that the episodes now are sounding so great. Thanks for your feedback. Send me in some ideas, some feedback, whatever you want to do. Have a great break, a great off season. And guys, until next year, adios amigo.